Hey, Krishna, everybody. Sorry, I'm running a little late. I'm just going to start the uh, streaming and so on, and we'll get started. Hare Bo, Hare John. Hare Bo, Braj. Um, It's just uh, loading up. Now I'll just pause it, otherwise I'll be echoey. <laughs> and then, uh, we can get started with our invocation prayers. Om Anjana Timirandasya Nyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurum Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Guru Veinama Siddhantapalasarin Rasikam Hansang Vilasatmakam Audaryakya Sudan Sevakadanam Vishramba Bhakti Pradam Yakya Yukti Vichakshanam Vagavito Vashishta Shakya Sada Vandayam Chuparari Namakaya Ting Shri Bhakti Vedantinam Vanchakalpataru Yascha Kripasindu Vyevacha Patitanam Bhavanebio Vaishnavebio Namonama Ajana Lambita Bujau, Kanakavata Tau, Sankirtanai Kapitaro, Kamalaya Takshau, Vishambaro, Dvijavaro, Yukatarma Palo, Vande Jagapriyakaro, Karunavataro, Vande Shri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sodito, Kodada Pushpavanto, Chitra Shandotamunado, Vande Hong Shri Ramakrishna Abaya Charanasuko, Sukato Paramanando, Sundaro Subalo Priyo, He Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dina Bandu Jagapate, Gopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kantanamostute, Tapta Kanchana Gorangi Rade Vrindavaneshwari, Rishabhanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye, Vandana karite muhi kata shakti dhari, tamo bhuti toshe muhi damba matra kori, tatapi mukera bhagya mane raulas, dosak shami moedame koroni jatas. So, welcome everybody uh, in the present or in the future, as often goes with these um, Tapa Vivek classes being on YouTube. So, um, as you know, today we're going to continue uh, our really comprehensive Bhagavad Gita study. Uh, well, as comprehensive as we can be, of course, the Bhagavad Gita, as we know, is ever deep, so you can never uh, go uh, to its extent or its limit. But, um, you know, we're try trying to go as deep as we can, at least in one-hour sessions every couple of months or so. So if you missed... Um, 
the introduction session, uh, which I appreciate was like a, a number of months ago now, uh, I do recommend checking that out because it gives a nice overview of how we're going to approach our studies of the Gita, um, synthesizing different commentaries and drawing from some essential points and like that. And we discussed last time uh, that the kind of paradigm that we're looking through, that if we were to sum up the Gita in a line, we could say it takes us from uh, selfishness to selflessness uh, in the fullest sense of the term, what selflessness means. Um, and it's something that I think hopefully will become a bit more evident in today's session as well. Um, but ultimately, the Gita encourages sacrifice. So sacrifice is a big part of the Gita, which is, as our Guru Maharaj points out, is the womb from which love arises, as opposed to, for example, attachment, uh, something else we'll get into today, which as we know later in the Gita, Krishna makes clear is the womb from which suffering is born. And so we also discussed uh, how for our particular approach, because there's many ways we could study the Gita and man many devotees approach the Gita from different angles. Um, and so for in, in terms of our particular approach and study, there are four important points that we should consider. So that was the all-inclusive nature of the Gita that it can apply to, to anyone really, no matter their, their tradition, if you will. Uh, how we should approach the Gita, we discussed. Uh, the point about the battlefield being within, and also that this is not an all or nothing affair. It's not, okay, I have to do this. And if I don't do this, I'm a failure, <laughs> you know, and so on. It's not an all or nothing affair. So I won't go into all of these now because of course that's we spent a lot of time in the previous session um in the introduction session going through them so check that out if you missed it but it's always worth keeping these in the back of the mind as we uh, decide which which topics we kind of um put, put more of time and emphasis in um because as i say the itself and the verses themselves i mean you could spend <laughs> sessions and sessions a type of vehicle on uh, on these and so Importantly, we also discussed as we study these various topics that there are both low ends and high ends. And so naturally, we, we got to, um, as our Guru Maharaj sometimes says, take our own temperature, you know, and, and we need to make gra gradual steps in, in between, be, be honest with ourselves and our needs for balance and harmony, also making progress and acting accordingly with our eyes fixed upwards with, with the ultimate goal. So the full selflessness, if you will, in our case, from selfishness to selflessness like that. So, so the Bhagavad Gita is generally said to be divided into three sections of six chapters each. I'm sure you're probably all familiar with that. Um, so our, our Guru Maharaj uh, describes the first six chapters as representing uh, the yoga psychology of the Gita. Uh, so, you know, sometimes it's said to be the, the karma yoga section. To, but I like how it's expressed there, especially the yoga psychology of the Gita. And, and we'll see how that is the case as we explore the first six chapters. And that's where we'll start today, of course. And then the middle six chapters represent the theology of the Gita or the bhakti uh, yoga section. The last chapters represent uh, the metaphysics of the Gita or Jnana Yoga. And so, as a side note, it's worth pointing out, I didn't have chapters, but it's a chapter itself. So the whole of the Gita is actually a chapter itself of the Mahabharata. But over time, commentators added chapter breaks to mark these shifts in discussion. 
Um, so I just thought that was an interesting site. Um, but the first chapter, um, it sets the scene for the discussion between Krishna and Arjuna. And Arjuna's despair um, is going to be the catalyst for what will come. So as we'll see, there's a lot to be found in the first uh, chapter beyond just setting the scene, although it does set the scene. There's, there's actually quite a lot, even in the first chapter. I think just last week or the week before, our Guru Maharaj was making that point on the Swami call about how in the first chapter, you know, there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, but especially uh, material attachments will be highlighted as the enemy that Arjuna must contend with. And so us, because of course, it's speaking to us also. So material attachments is the real enemy to be contended with. Um, and uh, it's an introduction to the rest of the book. Um, it shouldn't, and sets the scene, it, it definitely shouldn't be skipped over because there is so much to take from it. Uh, and hopefully the next number of sessions that we just spend on the first chapter will we'll highlight that that's the case. So Srila Prabhupada, he called this chapter Observing the Armies, whereas other commentators, uh, including Nagaru Maharaj, called it the, the yoga of despair, because uh, like, like we see Juna's despair in, in that scene. And the scene that he finds himself in is a very dramatic one. And the end result of that scene was slaughter amongst these huge armies. So it's, it's quite a, a, a highly tense and emotional situation. Uh, and in contrast to this, also something we'll get into in a bit, is set on a sacred place, uh, Kurukshetra is a sacred place. And so this, this gives us a nice hint uh, to, to what the Gita's real purpose is, that it reconciles uh, that seeming dichotomy between what is sacred and what is material or, or that which is overtly sacred, you know, because actually, as we'll also find, you know, <laughs> everything is sacred, proper vision, um, and the, uh, the battle is set on a sacred ground. There are many other reasons, too, and that, we'll get into that later, but, um, you know, it, it really does har harmonize these two things, the, the sacred and, and the material, or seeming, seeming material. And so the desperation and the confusion in that setting, uh, like naturally, you know, <laughs> especially in Arjuna's case, for example, he's about to have to fight his loved ones and so on. It really highlights our need for the teachings, because sometimes, as we, we all have this experience, uh, the world can get intense, right? Our, our, our external world can get very intense or our internal world can get very intense, you know, uh, on a mental platform, an emotional platform, etc. Um, and then, yeah, what to speak like the outside world and all the chaos that goes on there, you know? So that's, that's the nature of uh, life in the material world anyway, right, in general. And so it can get to a point that we just feel like, okay, we just got to cry out or, or we've got to make a change. And, um, you know, many of us have come even to our part uh, and under, under those kind of circumstances where things get a bit too much in questioning the materialistic goals of our society or, uh, um, or, or our families, ourselves and so on, and the aspirations that we thought were really important uh, and that we may have even been brought up to believe in normal and right. And what we'll find is material attachment will be shown to be the main enemy for those who really want to seek truth, who really want to seek 
uh, genuine peace and beyond that happiness, you know, love and, and so on. So, um, so yeah, so it's got some, some nice, nice, uh, um, uh, points to, to be made there, but as an overview to the to the first chapter. But before we start the first chapter, so we'll start in a second with the actual verses. There's a nice text uh, that some of you may be familiar with um, called the Gita Mahatmya, uh, which is said to be spoken by Lord Shiva, and it, it was uh, I think it was said to be given in the Padma Purana. And so this text, the Gita Mahatmya, it glorifies the different chapters of the Gita. And it tells the reader of the benefits or the fruits of studying that particular chapter. So it's nice, I think, to, to highlight these things before we go into each of the chapters, uh, you know, following in uh, Lord Shivaji's footsteps. <laughs> so for the first chapter, it says that anyone who recites, who hears or studies the first chapter of Bhagavad Gita will very easily cross over the ocean of material miseries and attain the service of the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. So definitely worth putting some time into the first chapter with a, with a boon like that, right? Um, so with that said, let's read the ver actual verses for today, uh, verses 1 through 11, and then we can go a bit deeper into them. I think just in the interest of time, uh, we'll just read the English. Um, but of course, it's highly recommended to read the Sanskrit as well. And so maybe afterwards as homework, you can read these verses uh, in Sanskrit just to have a complete um, experience of the first chapter, if you will. But um, yeah, so Dhritarashtra said, O Sanjaya, what did my sons and the sons of Pandu do as they assembled at sacred Kurukshetra, eager to fight? Sanjaya said, after seeing the battle formation of the Pandava's army, Prince Duryodhana approached his guru and spoke the following words. Behold, O Master, the strength of the Pandava's military formation, wisely arranged by Drupada's son, your disciple. Among the Pandavas, uh, sorry, among the Pandava's soldiers are heroes and archers equal in prowess to Bhima and Arjuna and fighters like Yudhana, Virat, and the great warrior Drupada, Ketu, Chekitana, the valorous Kashiraj, Purujit, Kuntiboja, and the bull among men, Shaibya, are all here. The mighty Yudhamanyu, the valorous Uttamauja, Subhadra's son, and the sons of Draupadi are all great warriors, all best of the twice-born. Let me tell you the distinguished leaders of our army. Your good self, Bhishma, Karna, Kripa, who is always victorious in battle, Ashvatthama, Vikarna, the son of Somadatta, as well as many other heroes skilled in battle and well-equipped, are all ready to lay down their lives for my sake. Our strength is immeasurable, guarded as it is by Bhishma, whereas their force, guarded by Bhima, is limited. Throughout the battle, all of you must support Bhishma from your battle stations. So yeah, that's, so that's the first 11 verses, which we'll, we'll try to go through. Some, some will spend a bit more time than others um, in the context of our particular study. But this verse, uh, the first verse, sorry, 
uh, actually could have had the whole class dedicated to it. <laughs> you know, just just trying to squeeze a bit more in. I thought we we did the first ten or eleven, but um, actually you could spend the whole first class and more um, on just the first verse because uh, it contains so much. Uh, and and in our Guru Maharaj's commentary, um, he's elucidated many of these things um, as of others in their writings. Um, yeah, so this, this this verse it says, Dhritarashtra said, O Sanjaya, what did my sons and the sons of Pandu do as they assembled at sacred Kurukshetra, eager to fight? And so, talks, we know, they, they come to us through psychic ability to see and the events taking place in, uh, in the palace uh, of uh, Dhritarashtra. And so this point from the very start, this is a nice point that Sanjaya uh, right there in the beginning, um, who, who's relaying that, because from the start, it makes clear that the dialogue has a mystical origin. You know, it's it's kind of otherworldly, <laughs> that it's not just any any kind of conversation. You know, even so the way it's been recited is through this like mystic power <laughs> to uh Tritarastra. So um so yeah and and so innumerable soldiers have assembled there on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. And the reason they're there ultimately is due to the deep-rooted material aspirations of Dhritarashtra and his son Duryodhana. And as, as you know, Dhritarashtra is physically blind, but actually all of them are blind, uh, him and his sons. They're all blind in a different way, not just by, by sight, but they're blinded by their greed, uh, by their envy, and by their material desire. Um, something, you know, that is quite um, prominent in this world, greed, envy, and material desire can, can blind people to, uh, to good living, to truth, and to, to harmonious uh, interactions, and so on. And so the scene, like we were saying, is very dramatic, and it's going to result in great bloodshed. Shed. Um, but, you know, it... it Oh no, I made this point already. I won't, I won't go too much into that about it being a sacred place. And so uh, it's kind of like bringing these two things, these uh, these two points of like the very material, like it, when you think of what someone who's very materialistic, like in the, in the most extreme sense of the term, then someone who's very greedy, very envious, right? Full of material desire, but with this greed and envy and so on, that would be like the extreme end. And so that's that's being brought in. Uh, with the, the the concept of Kurukshetra, this sacred place, um, and so so we can see that this is a topic from the very beginning. You know, if, if the first verse is setting the tone for the rest of the uh, rest of the Gita, that this is a topic that's a fundamental concern for the Gita, um, reconciling this, this contradiction between the sacred and the not overtly sacred, and, and so on. So I think that's a very nice nice point. And so in in the very first verse we can see that it's attachment that is causing the problems of the world. This is what's causing these problems in this particular scenario. So Dhritarashtra being blinded by his own attachment. Uh, and so because of that attachment, ignoring uh, justice, he's ignoring what, 
Austrian justice for those who are familiar with uh, the history of the Mahabharata and so on. Uh, you know, th this, this, this ignoring is such a big reason that this battle is taking place, a battle that could have been avoided and was and had been tried to be avoided many times. Even Krishna went uh, as, as a, a peacemaker, if you will, to try to, to um, calm, the, calm the tensions, if you will. But uh, unfortunately, because of the, the power of, of this, this uh, envy and, and attachment, then um, it just wasn't to be. And so here we are on the battlefield. And so, so this word is used, the Sanskrit word, mamaka, in this verse that points this out, this mood of me, myself, and mine. We all, we've all heard that many times, right? The, the problems of me, myself, and mine. And, and, and when we break it down and we look at real world examples, th this mood of me, myself, and mine, that's really the cause of so much suffering, if not all suffering and dispute in the world. So when the individual starts to think in terms of I, me, and mine, primarily interested in selfish gain and, and personal aggrandizement, then naturally anxiety, frustration, disappointment, and so on are, are inevitable. Uh, and we see that time and time again, both in the outside world, but I'm sure in our own lives as well, right? <laughs> the more we're kind of self-absorbed, actually, generally, the more unhappy we become. <laughs> so what to do? Um, so we, we invest ourselves in so many temporary objects. That's really the root of it, right? As we'll find out later on. We invest ourselves in so many temporary objects. And so we, we end up feeling pain if something happens to those objects because we projected ourselves in so many things. You know, the nice example often used is like, say, if you have a car, if any of you are drivers, for example, you know, how would you feel if you scratch your car? as opposed to just passing by someone else who happened to scratch their car, you know, you'd probably be a bit more concerned and a bit more emotionally involved when it's, oh, my car, rather than someone else's, or, you know, if your house burns down, you know, if you, your house burns down, then it, it's a real big problem for you, you know, <laughs> on a practical point of view, of course, because now you got to find somewhere to sleep. But apart from that, you know, like just on an emotional level internally and like that, it's going to be a real pain because it's, oh, it's my house. But if you sell that very same house, it could be the very same house, the very same object. But if you sell it, you move elsewhere, you have somewhere else to sleep that becomes yours. And then that, and that one burns down. Then it's not such a problem. So it shows that. It, uh, what is really important there in all of these things is me, right? Me, me, myself, and mine. So you have an emotional reaction because it's mine. And that's, of course, a small example. But we can see how on a great, so many ill effects of acting on this selfish platform. Uh, and we see uh, in, in that the response of Dhritarashtra points this out. So the, the power of attachment is some persons of knowledge, naturally a consequence of this, like we're saying, is anxiety, frustration, disappointment, and so on. And unfortunately, the more one is materially entangled, the more one becomes oblivious to the ill effects of their actions. And we see that's really the case with Dhritarashtra uh, here, like, you know, there's going to be some major bloodshed ahead, <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of oblivious to that, more concerned about, okay, what's happening with my, my sons? Hopefully they're still going to fight, as we'll discuss in a second. In this case, of course, the ill effect that is uh, he's being oblivious to is a great war 
And, you know, this happens throughout history that, you know, these great wars, someone army crushes their rivals, one, one um, uh, uh, society defeats another, another's uh, culture, these kind of things, these, these great superpowers, if you will, uh, and then they gain power and there's this constant throughout history. Uh, you know, they're crushed to make room for, for the next one and so on. But it's an endless thing, this histo uh, historically, this remorseless struggle, a struggle for existence, as, as it's, you know, termed ultimately. And so we find war always, uh, uh, a war of some kind. So we're, we're speaking on a bigger scale, but, you know, then there's the internal war and so on. But these wars we're speaking about, like the war, the Battle of Kurukshetra, you know, causes ordinary people to kill their friends, kill their brothers, etc. So, it, you know, in one sense, we're all brothers and sisters in terms of humanity and so on. And beyond that, obviously, on a spiritual level. So it's no accident, though, in this, this setting of um, Kurukshetra, this big war and so on, such a desperate and confusing time. It's no accident that's been chosen by Krishna to deliver his teaching on, on how to bring an end to suffering, you know? So if that's like suffering really shown to the max in some ways, this, this major bloodshed. So he's chosen that to show, well, let's, how, how can we bring an end to it? You know, one can bring an end to it. One doesn't just like think, oh, well, you know, it just happens. Let's stay at war. Let's stay at war with ourselves. Let's stay at war with our minds, <laughs> you know, and so on. Uh, but actually there's a way out because Krishna, of course, is neutral to it. Of course, you know, in the Leela, he has his, his uh, leanings and so on, but really he's neutral to it. And he wants nothing uh, himself, but he just wants love. And he loves all. He loves all those soldiers on the battlefield, the Kurukshetra, for example, even Duryodhana, <laughs> you know, like deep down. He loves loves him as, as he actually is, but obviously beyond the, the covering. Uh, Our Guru Maharaj, writes something nice about this in his commentary. He says, indeed, Thritarashtra, his attachment for Duryodhana blinding him to justice, was instrumental in this unfortunate turn of events. Had this sense of justice not been overruled by material attachment for his son, the battle might have been avoided. As overtly unbecoming as Thritarashtra's role was, it gave Krishna the opportunity to speak about the nature of attachment, its consequences, detachment, knowledge, and ultimately love of God. So you can see even from such a, a bad, bad place, if you will, something so beautiful and great can come. And so there, there, there are so many other significant aspects to this first verse. Uh, we're already half hour in we're on the first verse. Maybe I should have split it up, but I'm sure we'll be okay. But um uh, not only this term mamaka, but each and every word, like I say, of this first verse, it has so much meaning. So dharma kshetra and kurukshetra, these, these are two terms worth exploring in more depth as well. We find the, the topic of dharma come up throughout the Gita. And as we know, ultimately, it culminates in what we know to be the essence of dharma, what Gaudiya Vaishnavas call prema dharma, so the dharma of love. And so other forms of dharma, as we'll also find as we progress in the Gita, they're meant to lead in this direction, in the direction of prema dharma, ultimately. Um, this, is, this is the highest form of dharma, the essence of dharma, like we say. So our, our Guru Maharaj, he writes, first war based on selfish desire, 
the greatest good emerges. The Bhagavad Gita takes us on a religious and spiritual journey from selfishness to selflessness through his disciple and dear friend Arjuna, one of the sons of Maharaj Pandu, to the path of devotion. So we see this hint to the essence of Dharma in the very first verse referring to Kurukshetra as a holy place, Dharmakshetra, which it was known to be historically even prior to the battle because it, it was always known as a place for worshipping the Lord. Uh, the Shastra uh, pointed, pointed this out as well, that it's, it's a place for worshipping the Lord, a place which produces Dharma and which is for performing sacrifice. So, and we know, you know, as a side note, even Krishna's father, today, uh, he also went there and performed sacrifices there uh, during the solar eclipse. And so Dhritarashtra, he's showing some concern for this Dharmic fact, because, you know, if all the, the soldiers, including his sons, are there, they're associating in such a holy place, such a dharmic place, this could cause a change of heart, right? Like maybe Duryodhana could have a change of heart, and others in his army could have a change of heart and actually take up the path of dharma, realize, okay, what are we doing? Why are we, why are we fighting? Actually, we're, we're in the wrong here. Maybe we should, uh, uh, you know, uh, concede. So, so the Pandavas, they naturally follow dharma. And so it, being in such a place, both sides may have the intelligence to say, okay, maybe we shouldn't kill each other. And maybe they'll, they'll go ahead and negotiate a peaceful compromise or settlement. And, so, and Tritarastra didn't actually want this. You know, he might, he might gave lip service to it at times, his heirs. So change of heart, then his sons couldn't claim the kingdom. And so he asks in the first verse, what was the behavior of both the armies? What was the behavior of them both? And so we'll find as we go deeper into the Gita in, in later chapters also, later verses, the Gita will often emphasize that how we behave and the motivation behind that behavior is more important than what we actually do. So really the motivation is more important than what we actually do. And so Dhritarashtra, he hopes that the holy nature of the location of the battlefield, it will not affect his desired outcome, which is possible given that it's a place that produces dharma. It might, it might change, give a change of heart and so on. And so he may also be hopeful that, so he's got that kind of leaning. He's kind of like, well, I hope it doesn't affect my sons in a way that, the, you know, I don't get what I want kind of thing. But he may also hope that it does affect the heart of the Pandavas in the sense that um, them being virtuous already, them being dharmic already, uh, that the, their dharma will increase in such a holy place. So maybe they'll lose their desire to regain their kingdom. Uh, when they, they weigh up what the karmic consequences will be of slaying their relatives. Uh, and of course, we know that does happen to Arjuna even. We'll see later uh, in this chapter that Arjuna 
has that concern that, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't be killing our, our relatives, our teachers, and so on. And so, you know, that would be that would be a win for Dhritarashtra, because then, okay, <laughs> my, my sons are in the right place. Um, but of course, uh, what's, what will really happen, as some of the Acharyas point out, you know, the holy place will will have its dharmic influence, but it will result in pulling up the weeds of uh, Duryodhana and his brothers and others due to their adharmic actions. Uh, and so, of course, there's more to it than that. Something that our Guru Maharaj brings out very nicely in his commentary, that this kind of dharma is not the highest dharma, as we mentioned earlier. The essence of dharma, of course, is prema dharma. And so what is even more significant is the relation of Kurukshetra to Prema Dharma. Uh, and, and, and we'll see how much of that fact comes out in later verses um, uh, in, in the way that Krishna expresses things and so on. So our Guru Maharaj, he writes, however, the Pandavas were more than pious. They were intimate devotees of Krishna and thus transcendentalists of the highest order. Moreover, Kurukshetra was far more sacred than Tritarashtra realized. Its sanctity is brought out by the devotional mystics of the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition in their commentaries on Srimad Bhagavatam. And so he goes on to explain in his commentary the significance of Kurukshetra in relation to Prema Dharma, something that Srila Jiva Goswami has detailed in his Krishna Sandarbha. Because 50 years before uh, Krishna before this point, basically, before Krishna spoke the Gita at Kurukshetra, Krishna had visited um, the same place uh, as the king of Dwaraka. And secretly, he had gone there, you know, it was under the guise of being the king and so on. Uh, but really, he wanted to meet the residents of Raj, and especially the gopis. And it, he, he wanted to share with them that he always thought of them that he never stopped thinking of them and and he he you know they they were so dear to him uh, just as he was so dear to them and so Aguru maharaj writes separation made their hearts grow fonder in the same way that it made krishna's heart grow fonder for them now more than 50 years after his brief meeting with them at kurukshetra krishna was once again setting foot in this holy place and he was reminded of his previous thing here with the gopis. And he goes on to say, although he physically returned to Dwaraka, his heart went with the gopis to Vraj. Here in this place, Kurukshetra, Krishna admitted that Radha's devotion to him had conquered him. This is the height of Dharma, Sri Radha's love, Prema Dharma. What is Dharma? It is that by which God is pleased. So pleased Krishna was by the gopi's devotion, that he bowed to it. Although the paramoa, parakya, love of the gopis for Krishna is in reality a mystic illusion owing to the fact that they are his potencies, shaktis, and thus belong, swakya, to him alone, it nonetheless brings the greatest rapture to Krishna. As dharma consists of that which is pleasing to God and is judged by the measure of his pleasure, Radha's paramwa love constitutes the highest dharma. Thus, this mystic illusion of her paramwa relationship with Krishna is quite real, and the devotion 
Darshan of the Vraj Gopis is the full expression of Dharma, the height of aesthetic rapture. The queen of this rapture is Radha, and accordingly, service to her is most pleasing to Krishna. How great was her necessity at Kurukshetra! She came so close to reuniting with Krishna, but could not. Value is determined by necessity. At the hour of Radha's greatest necessity, even the most insignificant service rendered to her draws immense remuneration. Such is the value of devotion to Radha at Kurukshetra. So very beautiful point. I mean, so much in, in there alone. And so much more is contained in the first verse, actually. But in the interest of time, and aiming to go through the next 10 verses, I don't know if we will do all 10 verses, we'll see. But we'll move on for now. But for those who do want to go a bit deeper, so you haven't had enough of the first verse yet, because there is so much more, there's a really nice article that Swami B. A. Ashram Maharaj uh, has written uh, on The Harmonist. You can find it on The Harmonist. It's called From Selfishness to Selfless Love of God in Bhagavad Gita's first verse. And he, he very nicely goes deeply into the first verse uh, to show how much of the Gita's and Gaudiya theology is contained in that very first verse. So I recommend that. It's a beautiful article. And, uh, and I can also put, post a link in the comments uh, on YouTube of this live stream. Um, so yeah, but we'll, we'll move on for now, just in the interest of time. Um, and we'll, we'll spend a little less time on each of the other verses for today. Because although there are many backstories to different characters mentioned and so on, again, we could spend, you know, many, many classes on, on just the backstories of each of these characters. Uh, as, as we discussed last time, which approach this study through a certain lens. So we'll give some overview, of course, but, and it's worth making a few other points nonetheless. But some, some, some things we, we might skip ahead, even though, you know, we shouldn't, <laughs> shouldn't skip over anything really, but Sanjaya, one, one point being made, made is that Sanjaya knew Tritarashtra's heart. You know, Sanjaya was a wise person. He was a pious person himself. And he knew that Tritarashtra's attachment was so strong for his sons, irregardless of the righteous nature of the situation or otherwise. And so still, though, Sanjaya in the second verse, uh, he, he implies that the Pandavas are superior We'll, we'll see this a lot in these these kind of these next few verses. There's a lot of kind of like double meanings to things. So although in one sense Sanjaya is relaying to Dhritarashtra, there's another meaning. He, he he points out that actually the Pandavas are superior, and it's also pointed out that Duryodhana's speech has more than one meaning. So this is something we'll see brought out uh, in verse three, and so in in verse three we see Sanjaya's response to Dhritarashtra's uh, concern. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, about, you know, he'd have this concern that their hearts may be changed being in the Dharmic place, that his sons may be affected by the holy place of Kurukshetra and become Dharmic themselves, so they may give up their claim to the kingdom and so on. And so Sanjaya, he subtly shows uh, that this isn't the case in verse 3, that actually Duryodhana has no inclination for righteousness. That's just not, not going to happen. Uh, you know, the example sometimes given uh, classically is that just as a serpent that is fed milk uh, doesn't give up its venom, but actually it increases its poison and anger. Similarly, Duryodhana will never return the kingdom to the Pandavas. Uh, 
And in this verse, we see an example of his unrighteous nature come to the forefront. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm sure none of us, hopefully, have had the experience of having to feed a, a poisonous snake with milk. <laughs> but you can imagine that if you did, uh, uh, you know, not only are you giving it nutrition, so the poison will increase, it will be more healthy and so on, but also uh, it will become angry because, you know, get out of my space, as you know, it happens with venomous snakes generally. Um, and so it wouldn't be a good place. And so, so Sanjaya kind of points this out that, you know, yeah, it's a dharmic place. Uh, and may, maybe some might be affected by that in terms of having a change of and so on. But Duryodhana himself, he's so far gone in his envy uh, and greed and so on that actually it, it flares it up even more. And so uh, we see these, his, his actual, actual nature come out a lot uh, in these verses. So in verse three, one of the main points brought out by, by, by our acharyas and so on is that Duryodhana, Externally, he seems to be offering respect to his guru. His guru, of course, is Dronacharya. <laughs> and maybe just giving lip service like this, but actually he's being quite sarcastic in the way that he speaks. So he's actually playing a political game. And, and as our Guru Maharaj points out that, uh, I'll just read the sentence. He says that although he approached his guru in form, the spirit of his approach was to instruct. And so Duryodhana, really, his purpose, he really wanted to invoke anger in the heart of Drona by mentioning Drona's old enemy, who, who was arranging the Pandava's army. So Drona, he had taught Drishtajuna, uh, and, and so from the perspective of Duryodhana, he made the task more difficult for his army. And so for those who aren't familiar, uh, Guru Maharaj uh, gives give some background in his commentary. He says, Trishta Jumna uh, was Drupada's son. He was born out of Drupada's desire for revenge against Drona. After Drona sent his best student, Arjuna, to capture Drupada for breaking his word of honor, Drupada performed a sacrifice to get a son who would kill Drona. Trishta Jumna was that son. Drona knew this. Yet, he did not hesitate to instruct him in military science, owing to his commitment to his dharma as a teacher over concern for his personal safety. So we won't go too much in the background there, but um, you may be familiar with Drupada and Dronacharya. They were friends in childhood, but later, um, when Drupada was king, Dronacharya approached him for financial help, but Drupada didn't properly respect him. And so Dronacharya couldn't let this go. He, he couldn't forget this disrespect. And so that then, as was pointed out in the commentary we just read, uh, uh, he, he sent Arjuna to capture Drupada um, uh, and, and offer him at Drona's feet as Guru Dakshin. Uh, and so Arjuna followed that, uh, that order and um, uh, Dronacharya, he took half of Drupada's kingdom and then released him. And so, because he felt assaulted, uh, King Drupada, he performed a fire sacrifice, which produced both Draupadi, uh, who, as we know, is, is the wife of the Pandavas, and Drishtadumna, who, who uh, is this, this uh, uh, enemy of Dronacharya. Uh, well, not enemy, his dad was the enemy, but he, he was actually a student of Dronacharya, but he was destined to kill Dronacharya like that. 
And uh, and so yeah, so so Sri Lavishwana Chakravarti Thakur, he points out that so actually what what uh, uh, so he does <laughs> what Dronacharya uh, is doing here uh, is is criticizing um, Dronacharya. Uh, sorry, Duryodhan is criticizing Dronacharya. That's actually what he's doing by by bringing this this up here. He's kind of saying you're foolish because you taught the person who's who's like leading the other side and so on. Um, and so it's not a very dharmic uh, uh, behavior, right? <laughs> to uh, to criticize one's guru in in such a way. Remember, Dronacharya is his guru. And so it's um you know it's. Uh, Sanjaya is making that clear that don't, don't you worry, Dhritarashtra, your son, your son's heart hasn't changed at all. He's still the same, same Dronacharya. And so one takeaway from the mood of Duryodhana towards his teacher, among other things, is we, we must be careful not to focus too much on just emulating the form of things at the expense of the spirit behind them. Because otherwise, we, we might miss what's being taught. We see that happen time and time time again, and we, we see many examples of that in Shastra and so on. It's not that form isn't important as well, of course, but it, it should be with proper knowledge. Um, and, and we'll see the Gita will especially teach this, us this in later chapters, that there are different ways of doing the exact same activity. So just as an example, there are different ways of giving in charity under the modes, you know, different ways of speaking, etc. Um, but even beyond the modes and so on, ultimately, one of the main points being brought up, as I mentioned earlier, is that motivation uh, is more important than the physical act itself. And so our, our Guru Maharaj writes that in form, he was competent to lead. So speaking about uh, Duryodhana, so in, in form, he was competent to lead, but he lacked spiritual substance. And so, as we know, Duryodhana, he rejected having Krishna on his side so that he could have Krishna's. He was enamored by the externals of things. So he rejected what would be most beneficial for him actually, so that he could have something that he thought would enhance his material prowess. What he really wanted was to enhance his own material prowess. And we spoke earlier about the, the problem of that. So he actually rejected Krishna to have Krishna's army um, because he felt, well, actually, I'll, I'll do better. I'll do better in the world with that. Um, and, and so our senses and our minds, they take us all over the place, right? And they tell us we'll be more happy with this, or we'll be more happy with that. But real happiness, uh, as hopefully, you know, we, we at least theoretically know, is within, you know, that is where Krishna or the divine sits in our hearts. And so if we choose to approach there, then actually victory is assured in battle. So victory would have been assured for Duryodhana had he chosen Krishna. <laughs> so victory is assured in our battle our own battle, the inner battle, like we, we, we were speaking about, to move up the ladder toward full selflessness. So, so approaching Krishna is the way we can move up the ladder toward full selflessness. So the Gita will continue to show us how we can take those steps gradually and healthily. Uh, and so in this first section, it's highlighted some things that we should avoid, and especially including this duplicitous nature of Duryodhana towards his teacher, while seeming he's trying, you know, he's 
playing a political game because he has to try and rally up the troops and so on. But, uh, you know, the spirit behind it was totally on the wrong on the wrong uh, page. And so uh, just uh, in verses four, five and six, we'll combine verse four, five and six. Duryodhana, he continues to list some of the great warriors on the side of the opposing army. And so we won't list them here now. Maybe we can just briefly say something about them. But obviously, you know, we've only got about 10 minutes left. But uh, I, I'll point you towards Srila Narayan Maharaj's commentary on the Gita. Because uh, in there, he, he's given some really nice summaries of each of the personalities for, for those who would like to know more of the backstories or uh, some, some, some more, doesn't give all the backstories, but just something more on each of these personalities mentioned. Um, but Yudhana, um, uh, for example, was a servant of, of Krishna. Um, uh, yeah, I, I won't go through them. Maybe, maybe you can read there because, uh, yeah, we've got quite a bit to go through. But each of these individuals, they, they, they have quite, um, quite a role in the Mahabharata and like that. So, so if anyone had read the Mahabharata, you know, they, they'd be quite familiar with many of these personalities. Uh, and they're all great warriors, like, like he mentions. And that, that's really... Um, uh, the main point, but Duryodhana's purpose, the main point being that Duryodhana's purpose, it continues to be to rouse up uh, Dronacharya's commitment to fighting. So he wants him to fight, but not only to fight, but with full force on his army uh, to reject everything else except one pointedness in, in winning his kingdom so he can, he can win like that. So Drupada is mentioned, like, like I say, because earlier we discussed his son, uh, and Drupada himself was an enemy of Drona. So, so, so this is mentions Drupada. And another interesting side thing before we move, he is unable to even mention our. Because remember, Arjuna of Dronacharya, um, Duryodhana uh, had great envy of Arjuna. Uh, and, and you see this come through because he can't mention Arjuna directly uh, as a force to be reckoned with. You know, he says there's these personalities, he gives a list of different personalities who are forces to be reckoned with. But he only uses Arjuna's name to compare the soldiers who are on the sides. Oh, you know, they have great power like him, kind of like, you know, let's not steer too much attention there and also because dronacharya like we say arjuna was his favorite student so he cares deeply for arjuna actually um and so duryodhana doesn't want to put too much emphasis on that side of things either so he kind of like quickly steers steers away just yeah they're as powerful as arjuna and similar for, for bhima and so on and so uh so it's pointed out in the commentaries duryodhana will be feeling some fear mentioning these great warriors names, uh, especially, uh, you know, even if he said it indirectly, but those uh, like Bhima and Arjuna, some, some trepidation will come up there in, in Duryodhana. And so if Duryodhana truly believes that the army of the Pandavas is invincible, then why is he so persistent to fight with them? Rather, he should make peace and agree to a truce. That, that, that kind of thinking might come up. And so next, he's 
starts to list some of the great warriors on, on their side. Uh, and he also throws in an honorific to Dronacharya. He says, best of the twice born, to try to appease Drona after his sarcastic tone, because he knows that he, he doesn't need his guru angry with him either. He needs Drona's full allegiance if he's to have any chance at win, winning the battle. He wants him on his side, naturally. And so the best of the Brahmins being stated, it, it has this concealed meaning also. Uh, like I say, there's many of these uh, verses where they've kind of got this double meaning because he's also implying, he's kind of like poking at Dronacharya's pride because he's implying that if Dronacharya won't fight, then he's merely a Brahmin who's only interested in eating. Uh, for example, eating all that lovely food that is served at the palace of Duryodhana. You know, Duryodhana was known for making uh, feasts on, on several occasions, right? Like when he tried to lure Krishna, but then Krishna obviously ended up going to um, Vidura's house. Um, but, <laughs> you know, he's kind of like giving a prod like that as well, that like he says, you're best of the twice born. So, you know, act like the best of the twice born, be a Brahmin uh, and a warrior, because, you know, he's a cross, cross between the two, um, both, both not just in name, don't just be eating the food at my palace, but, eat, you know, earn your meal, sing for your supper, if you will, and really fight, fight with anger, fight with passion, like that. And so, um, yeah, like we say, as, as with many of these verses, then verses eight and nine, he lists all these personalities. Again, we won't go too much into them, but you, you, you can read up on them for sure, uh, for those who are interested. Um, but as with many of these verses, there's a double meaning that is brought out in Duryodhana's speech here again. Um, although this one may not be truly known to Duryodhana at the time. So although Duryodhana was probably, well, was fully aware that he was also being a bit insulting, a bit sarcastic towards Duryodhana, hence why then he gave him, he said, oh, best of the twice born, it's like that. You know, he's being a bit political, a bit duplicitous. But <clears throat> in, in this verse, these verses, he probably didn't realize the, the second meaning, there was more, the more true meaning of what he was saying when he says that they're willing to give up their lives in order to help me. And so that's the intended meaning of Duryodhana, but the literal meaning is they have given up their lives. And so uh, our Guru Maharaj, he points this out, referencing Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his, um, in his commentary. He says, here, Duryodhana says that his warriors are prepared to die for him. When someone utters the truth unwittingly, it is said that Saraswati, the goddess of speech and wisdom speaks through him. That is the case here, for what Duryodhana says will undoubtedly come true. His warriors will all die for him, as he himself, as will he himself. Krishna will tell Arjuna, Bhagavad Gita 11.33, they are already put to death by my arrangement, confirming the inevitability of their demise. So yeah, I say I was I was like these kind of like um, double meanings and 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 uh, the backstories and so on. And again, there are many backstories to these individuals. But seeing as we're going to wrap up shortly, um, you can look into look into those uh, separately. Um, and so yeah, I guess just yeah, just in brief, the last two verses, um, I'd say that the the, the well, Apart from the intrigue that, uh, that is taking place, the main takeaway for, for the purpose of our particular study 
uh, in all these verses that we study today is the inner motivation of Duryodhan and Dhritarashtra and the trouble it can cause. Uh, and the Gita will be an opportunity to refine that inner motivation. Uh, but we may need the selfish end of the spectrum highlighted so that we can see also what exists there within us, maybe not in different things that we, we might recognize in ourselves that the Gita wants to take us away from. Um, and so, so that, that would be the, the main emphasis. But of course, there are also like backstories and, and many interesting things brought out. Um, so in, in the 10th verse, uh, uh, Duryodhana brings up Bhishma and saying that the strengths are measurable because, of course, Bhishma could leave his body when he chose to and so on. Um, Whereas, and then he takes a, a dig at his his enemy, Bhima, uh, saying that their, their, their force is limited, guarded by Bhima. And, and, um, and so, yeah, so, the, so uh, again, Duryodhana is um, really like hyping up the army, you know, he's, he's, he's like flattering Dronacharya, like we say. He, he's, he's praising Bhishma because he also wants Bhishma to uh, really give it his all, even though he has such affection for the uh, for the Pandavas and so on. Um, and he, he's playing, you, you can read our Guru Maharaj's commentary there, but he, he's playing a political game, you know, again, rallying up the tro troops and, and, and using social etiquette uh, in a way, uh, again, not with the best motivation. I mean, in some ways he's doing, doing a good thing for his purposes, but <laughs> not ultimately, uh, as is pointed out there. Um, and so, um, yeah, I guess guess we'll skip there. And then just the, the, the final final verse is is um, you know he, he makes makes the point to everyone that you know throughout this battle, all of you must support Bhishma from your battle stations. Because again, like we mentioned, Bhishma could choose uh to die um uh when he liked. And also if he does die, uh you know the their chances uh, go down greatly. They, they have a, a lot less chance of winning. They really need Bhishma there uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, so he, wants, he, he wants them to really protect them. Uh, so after flattering Duryodhana, uh, sorry, Dronacharya, um, you know, he really hypes up the importance of Bhishma there. Uh, and so again, so much more could have been brought out. And maybe should have been brought out too, such as going deeper into the back for our purposes, um, setting the stage for some more of the verses that we will encounter as we progress through the text. Uh, again, like setting the paradigm that we're going uh, to to shine a light on on some of the things that are said in later verses and so on. And I think one of the main points to take away, as I mentioned earlier, is the problem of a more self-centered outlook on the world and the attachment that comes along with that. So if Krishna is going to give the solution to suffering, and that's what he's going to do, he's going to give the solution to suffering, then we can see that the first verses, they present the problem to be solved. You know, what is it that's causing that suffering in the first place? So in some ways, these first verses present the problem that the rest of the Gita will solve. So actually they're very important uh, verses. And so next time we'll continue with verses um, 112 to 120, I think. But um, yeah, but if anyone would like to share anything uh, concer concerning today's verses, 
uh, or ask anything and so on, then um, yeah, please feel free to do so. There is nothing then. Uh, thank you all for being with us. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time around. I'm not sure when it'll be, probably the month after next or so. But um, yeah, and enjoy the rest of the Tapa Vivek series. And we look forward to being with you again soon. Hare Krishna.